HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, Heritage Radio Network podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jorge Riera. We'll talk to Jorge about Le Rock, maybe a little Frenchette, of course, natural wine and more. We'll taste one of my favorite varietals that Jorge actually not turned me on to, but made me focus on it, uh, Pinot de Nice for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Jorge Riera has been a fixture on the New York wine and restaurant scene for over 20 years, maybe 25. His commitment, knowledge, and influence in natural wine dates back to 360 in Brooklyn, the Ten Bells, Wild Air, Contra, and French Ed in New York City. His wine list characterized natural wines at their best, featuring predominantly small growers and makers. Jorge introduced an all-natural-only wine list at the highly acclaimed Frenchette in Tribeca almost five years ago already. Continuing to work with his Frenchette peeps, Lee Hansen and Riyad Nasser, Jorge is now overseeing the whole beverage program and other things at the recently opened Red Hot Le Rock in Rockefeller Center. Jorge, I'm happy to say welcome back. Thank you. To the Grape Nation. And good morning. And, and I, you forgot one important restaurant as well. Uh, Balthazar? Which, yes. It's funny. I had it on and I took it off. Which, which ties all of this kind of in. It, it, it's so funny that that's the one I picked because all the other ones were natural plays. Not that Balthazar wasn't, but I was just trying to stay consistent. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. So I want to remind you, it's been almost four years since you and I sat down. I kind of chased you down because the Frenchette thing was kind of a cool thing happening and you had been doing natural wines at some great places. Um, and the fact that you did that all at uh, Frenchette, we got a chance to sit down and talk about that. Um, so it'll be nice to catch up again. So we're talking to Jorge at his new restaurant, Le Rock, literally in the heart of Rockefeller Center. I mean, you could see the skating rink and everything in Midtown Manhattan. All right. So you've been a little busy lately? Yes, You indeed. think so? <laughs> you, you wearing yourself down? A you got to take better care of yourself? Yes. All right. So before we get into Le Rock, um, I want to get your take on what's going on in wine now, because there's a handful of people that I kind of give a crap what they're doing, what they think, and what they say. Um, I alluded to it, but you are an evangelist, a cheerleader. Um, for small growers and makers, guys that practice thoughtful farming, make low-intervention wines. I'm, do, I'm using every adjective other than natural wine because <laughs> those Good. are the things, you know, that are important. Yes. 
you know, you are really a champion of wines that have nothing to hide. So we're sitting here today. We were sitting here four years ago. Give me, it's a very kind of mundane, open question, but give me your assessment of where we're at with natural wines. I mean, when I look, it seems good, but you are in the trenches, you know, way more. I think it's taken a tremendous leap from when we last spoke. I mean, uh, there's more growers. uh, There there are more places in this country, all over the world, more and more places uh, globally are serving these wines and uh, really taking to the wines. Uh, It's becoming harder, as everyone knows, to get these wines because of the demand that's uh, increased tenfold and uh, the extreme farming that's been happening with temperatures and weather and so forth and uh, the the minute quantities that are coming from uh, vineyards these last few years have been uh, a serious problem. But I think it's it's been a beautiful thing to see evolve and to see grow. Uh, it's just, you know, accessible in so many areas that I never thought would be uh, available, you know. So when you and I talked offline a little, um, we talked about some specific winemakers and how they got hit, you know, with everything. <laughs> you know, high winds, cold, whatever, tough tough vintages and all of that that exacerbates the problem of availability mm-hmm. but even without that hasn't these wines come to a point where they're fairly limited compared to others Absolutely. and they're harder to get i Absolutely. mean isn't that almost counter to I mean, what the, the vibe is uh, as far as availability yeah. and cost absolutely that's 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 a, a point well t- well said because they only make so many bottles and and it's not like they're going to grow their uh, their vineyard and their work right. just because of the demand is is asking so so uh, there'll only be so many of these wines available i mean it it is in the end it's all going to boil down to relationships who do you support you know and who do the, the the growers like to see their wines represented and that's how you're going to come across these wines it's going to be harder and harder um, so that fares well for you because you've been at it, relationships and all yeah. that. But it's a little sad. But it also shows the importance how restaurants can have access and expose you Absolutely. to some of these. It's, at least it, you can get them there. And it's also, to, to put it in layman's terms, it's the same way like when a restaurant gets a piece of, of, of whole animal that's been grown and, and treated cer- certain way and two restaurants and maybe the city will get half that animal broken right. down and served over time. You can only get so, so much of one thing, right. you know, and that's what makes it special and that's what makes it enjoyable. And that's what makes it, you know, very unique. So if I'm some guy who's just going to open some wine bar, you know, no chops, no background. And, you know, I got to have a big list of orange wines and natural stuff. Am I going to have trouble getting all the good stuff? Obviously. Uh, no, because this, like I've always is said, is there enough other stuff? There's enough other stuff. If you can't stuff. get A, which is awesome, B is pretty good. Yeah, there's enough other stuff. That fares well for. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about? Let's talk about not so much the farming yet, but the wines themselves. There was always this consistency and quality question. You know, um, mousy. You know, unfiltered mm-hmm. taste and all yeah. that. Um, is that a trademark of natural wines? No, right? No, it's not a trademark. What I think it is mostly from all the years that I've been tasting, it's it's to do with the uh, experience of the, of the winemaker. Uh, a lot of them take chances. A lot of them fail. A lot of them succeed. And it's just expanding what they do and becoming better at what you do. Sometimes you make a mistake in bottling and it can cause mouse or it could be some bacteria, or it could be some little flaw that will happen. But, you know, at least the, the, the growers are being honest and some are good. Yeah, they're very transparent. Some succeed, some don't. But that has a lot to do with, I mean, a lot of these guys have been around forever. Some guys are fairly new. With being newer, you know, experimenting, getting, you know, into a flow, you know, they're being honest about it. Yeah. So, but that's kind of leveling out a little. Yes, Nobody's bitching about, no. you know, natural wines and all that. Um, I think one of the most important things with natural wines certainly is the community. 
you know, the juice itself. But I think farming has something that, you know, we really focus on now. I know you do. I'm very much mm-hmm. interested in it. Um, I mean, more people are organic, regenerative. Um, they're thinking all about that. I mean, do you think people are aware of that? I mean, it, I, I think so. I mean, with foods and with other things that are happening in the world, I think people are going back to that and, and going back to that, you know, kind of like analog way of life to, to, to put it in an easier way to understand. But, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, the most important part in winemaking is the farming. 98% of the work is done in the farm, in the vineyard, and 2% is done in the cellar. And the cellar is the easy part. Uh, all the great winemakers are the ones that are always in the vineyards working and having this beautiful, biodiverse you know, environment that their vines thrive in and are super healthy and, and just make great, happy grapes. Uh, it's very simple. Yeah, I guess I asked the question poorly. I guess um, there's really the commitment and the story there. Yeah. And people are more interested. Absolutely. You know, current wine drinkers are interested in the story. They're eating organic. So, you know, um, but I don't know if that, you know, gets out there enough. Um, Talk to me about. It's also hard to like living in, in in the city that we live in to talk about farming sometimes and, 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 and pull away from that when you're not around farms as much, but people do acknowledge and realize what's happening. Yeah. You know? I, I agree with that. Um, so to that point, people that are doing it and everything, talk to me about some of the new driving force winemakers, regions, you know, I'm always curious. I mean, your list reflects that. But I think things have changed, you know, in the last few years. I think Croatia, Austria, you know, these yeah. are places that are important and important to you. Yeah. I mean, Eastern European uh, winemaking is, is coming in, in in full force and making really, really great wines with all the Mediterranean varietals that we're not too accustomed to and familiar with. So get get a little more specific. Eastern Europe is a big area. Yeah, like pluck some Cro- places out for me and tell me about uh, some of the varietals. Uh, in Croatia, uh, okay. in, in Dalmatia, there's a, a great wine called Vinas Mora, which is made with, with yeah, Crescio and uh, and Marco and Nico, and they make they they specialize in a grape called Babic, which is a very old Mediterranean, you know, dark inky uh, wine, but they they make it with such finesse and it has that saltiness and freshness and and lightness, but with a lot of structure behind it that's delicious. You know, I've been turning a lot of people onto that wine because I think it's it's fantastic and it drinks almost like a like a easy drinking Rhone. Right. You know? So Croatia, specifically the Dalmatia section. Yeah. Um, yeah. and the uh, Babbage wine. Uh, my oldest son went out to a music festival in Croatia this summer. Yeah. I said, Listen, you gotta hit the coast. I sent them over to to what is it? Babbage? Yeah. Bib- yeah. Yeah. So they yeah, sat, I, they of thought course. it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, nobody had those kind. Yeah. All right. In Styria, they're making great wines too. Like Styria Ke- is yeah. part of Austria? Yep. S-T-Y-R-I-A, Styria. Um, and in, and it's part of Slovenia as well. In Slovenia, so side, it, has, making, it touches it, yeah, that it touches, influence. And it, they're making phenomenal wines there. Yeah. What, what? Um, Keltis is a great, uh, another great domain in Styria. That spell they make, it. K E L T I S. Kelties. Yeah, they make very uh, fun, uh, very good, clean pet nats and, and whites and macerated wines. What kind of grapes? Uh, they use Chardonnay. They use, you know, uh, your common grapes, nothing okay. too, too rare. Okay. You know? um, all right. So you hit on two of the places, I hope you would uh, Eastern Europe, Croatia, um, Austria, specifically, Styria. Where else? Anything sort of, not in the mainstream, but compared to those, Spain, Italy, France. Well, what's interesting now is that in Burgundy, uh, there's been an interesting movement with, with Americans going there. And after doing some travels and learning and, and doing stages with certain growers that are settling down in Burgundy and making incredible wines at an early start, you know, four or five years you know, Jonathan Purcell from Von Noe. 
What's uh, the winemaker? Van uh, uh, Jonathan Purcell. He's the winemaker. What's the winery? Uh, it's called Van Noe. It's more of a ghost. He rents he r- rents vineyards and makes little micro cuvées and uh, with these beautiful labels that are like ink block uh, art and uh, very very small production, but very cool and interesting. And he's a lovely guy. I met him in November in a tasting in in outside of Paris. And it was nice to uh, have those wines hit the states. Yes, they're here. They're on. The, they're and in it's the v- list. Is it V O N or V A N? Van V I N. Van. Oh, Van. Van. Right. And Noe. N O E. N O E. Van. And he does, you know, projects in, in Beaujolais, Burgundy. Uh, really, really great stuff. Uh, there's another stuff called uh, La Grappin, which are uh, English couple. Uh, that are making really phenomenal wines. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things happening within France as well. An English couple in Burgundy? Foreigners, yeah. Who is that? It's uh, Emma. Uh, Emma that's making wines with Andrew Nielsen. Okay, they're an uh, English couple, settled down in Burgundy, and making really, really nice wines. Uh, nice. Yeah. That's why we have you on, because yeah. we want people to get out <laughs> there and look at stuff. Um, I had Chantarivon not that long ago, and they changed their labels, and, you know, it feels like a new vibe, but it's, you know, the same old good people and all of that. Um, What about anything in the States? Is that tougher? (laughs) You said to me, I said, is there anything you don't want to talk about? You said, don't make me talk about (laughs) conventional wine. I almost feel like asking about U.S. falls in in that. In the States, there's a lot of uh, growth and a lot of, like, Good things happening, like in Hayu. Uh, Nate Reddy. Nate is doing some really nice things. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good people out there. I don't, you know, focus my attention on there too much, but when they come across and I taste something good, there was one that uh, I got handed to me. I don't know the name of the grower that's called, uh, I think, Florence. It's got like oh, a flowery. Flores. Flores. It's a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I met him I had at a really Wild good, World. I had a really good white from him that was macerated from a friend of mine that was called White Rhino. He brought it just for shits and giggles. But actually, the wine was really, really solid and really good. So, you know, I would like to meet these people one day and just yeah. have a discussion with them. I tasted his wines, like I said, at Wild World. I think I remember him because he has a mullet or something. The labels are super colorful yeah, and, yeah, and that's fun. Definitely him. That's yeah. definitely him. He's uh, making small production. I think uh, Jenny and Francois rep him yes i think so yes. so he's got good people behind him um i mean to that point for you and the consumer how important are importers i mean these are people that sweat it out walking around these countries taste stuff yeah and bring it, that it's, kind of- it's super important uh i mean a lot of these uh growers that you know there's so many importers now that i can't even keep up with and so many people are approaching me that i just can't work with everyone um, is that frustrating or you're happy to see an abundance? No, no, I'm happy to see an abundance because there's a lot of things that are coming in. This, this, like I said, you know, if you go to open up a wine bar one day, there's plenty of wine out there from different areas that, you know, people need to access and, 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 and know about. But uh, I'm just happy to see this growth, this spurt in, in all these uh, importers. But, you know, some are bigger than others and some have a, a better reputation Right, uh, like anything. Are, yeah, and others are taking more risks, uh, but no, it's it's a great thing. Is there enough? Are there enough makers? Is there enough wine? I mean, are we going to hit a point at some point? No, because I think there's also a lot of wine that doesn't come here. You know, there's okay. a lot of things that when I go to France and I go to Europe, I look for that I can never get here, or I know I'm not going to get here, or it comes because in. of representation. Yeah. And also because it comes in at twelve bottles, and I may right. get one, and what's the point? Right. You know, so. Uh, I mean, I've been to enough of these fairs where you've tasted wines and they have no representation. Exactly. And by the end of the fair, they yeah. do or, you yeah. know, they don't, yeah. um, which is important. I mean, I always go back to the thing, and I know you'll agree, in a retailer or a restaurant or even look at the back of a bottle at an importer. Absolutely. If you like the guy, know yeah. the guy, trust them. Yeah. Because they'll, you know, they'll, they come in and look at your list. Yes. They shouldn't be intimidated. Yeah. They should be open, and they should tell you what they like, yes. right? Um, so similar to the um, distribution thing, there's been a pretty good prolifer- pro- proliferation of wine fairs in this area in the last, 
I don't know, four or five years. You have raw wine, Wild World, characters coming here. You go to the Loire and yeah. there's all these, you know, cool fairs. Um, is that more important initially to the trade and then that trickles down to the consumer? Like you're the guy who gets there and then you'll be able to get it on the list? Yeah, I mean, in, in here, uh, when, they, when these large fairs are done here, um, it's a little bit different because it focuses, depending on which, which fairs you're talking about, it focuses on an umbrella of growers, most are represented here, but it's exposing other people in, in the trade and in the public too. In France, it seems like, you know, France and Europe in general, there's a broad spectrum of a winemaker. It's uh, less political. Some of them are new. Uh, some of them are already represented that are really, really exciting to just be having access to and, and taste and talk to these, to these growers. Um, in America, it's, it's good. Uh, it's normally, it's harder here because here they do it over a day, depending. Raw does two days. One for trade, one for a consumer, but you know it's hard for the for the trade to get in because in Europe they close two days a week, and normally these tastings, these fairs are always on the Sunday Monday, so they and have is it, a lot more. Is it more focused to the trade than the yes, consumer? Yes, or yes, it's not a big consumer yeah. thing. Yeah, it's less consumer. It's like about a quarter of the right. consumer, and it's normally like on one day. Very rare do they open it both days to to the consumer. Right. You know? um, and some sell wine at the site. So if you're a importer, you could... No, not only an importer. Well, yeah, a restaurant because they're... Oh, a restaurant they're, they're, too. A restaurant or a retailer or anybody. But a retailer can buy or uh, you, know, you for your own personal consumption can buy. And the most important thing is that the grower gets money right there and then. They don't have to wait. So I thought that's always a really cool idea when that they do helps, that. That helps you know? those guys out. Yeah. Um, that model will never happen here. No. 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 I get it. <laughs> um, the biggest fairs in Europe I know are in the Loire. I yes. mean, are there anything similar in Italy? And, uh, yeah. In and Italy, where else in France? I mean, does Jura or any of those? Yeah. I mean, there's big fairs all over France. All right. I mean, so there's, there's, it seems like every other weekend okay. at one point after the spring. I wasn't a, sure if you, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's a good amount of them, which I'm happy because it gets guys like you exposed. And there's like a you great said, one in the Jura, speaking of which, that I've been trying to get to. It's always on the weekend of my birthday called La Nez Why wouldn't Vert. you celebrate your birthday there? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I, you know, we've been shut like down you, for three years. Like so you don't I have friends who can't anywhere. get a posse together, you know, to celebrate or something, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what's that one called? La Nez Vert, the Green Nose. It's a bunch of Juro producers, great Juro producers, like everybody. So let me ask you this, and then we're going to move on. I get to touch a lot of people in the wine business through the podcast. You know, guys like you, the guys like Piero Antonori, you know, whatever. Um in New York, I try to go to portfolio tastings, smaller tastings. I try to go to all the fairs. If I had to go to one fair in Europe, a guy in my position next year, where am I going? I think the, you have to answer that. You can't say, "Oh, there's so many." No, no. Where no. am I going? I, I think uh, character that's going to be that's coming. So that the next thing I was going to say was separate of character. Separate of character. Because we'll say, talk about character in a minute. I would say this 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 tasting Lanez Vert. In the Jura? Yeah. Okay. That kind of represents and exemplifies yeah. everything you want to see with these wines, these yeah. winemakers, the vibe and all yeah. of that. All right, that's good to know. Um, before we talk about Le Rock, I just want to ask you, is there ever going to be a time where you and I don't have to sit here and put natural wine in quotes and ask if they're consistent so. and mainstream. How does that happen? I, 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 let me answer first. When you get a restaurant like Le Rock in the middle of Rockefeller Center and bring a guy like you in and express that through the wine list, that's a big step. Is that the right direction? Is more of that going to happen? What else? I hope a lot uh, more of this will happen. Uh, I think it's just... You know, less focusing on that word and just, you know, expressing and showing that these are wines that are made in small production, you know, all by hand, by uh, growers that, that are working with, you know, very small farms. And uh, it's a, it's a 
tiny, you know, artisanal approach. It's not going to go mainstream and it's not, you know, yeah, it's, it's transparent and so ways. you represented why, which we've talked about yeah. and I agree. What about, what about the Bordeaux and Burgundy drinker? He's not going to. Well, Burgundy, I have plenty of Burgundy on, on this list. Yeah, but he and knows got, what he wants. You know what yeah. I'm talking about, the trophy well, guy. It, it, do you think yeah. it's an attrition thing where eventually when old guys like me get out of it and younger guys get in there more Well, what's focused? funny is that with wine and the trophy wines, there are natural wines now that are becoming these trophy wines. Well, isn't Romani Conti biodynamic? Well, besides that, like Pierre Auvernois now are going for hundreds and thousands yeah. of dollars. And before people, I used to serve that by the glass at 360. I know. And, and you I know what's funny, that. all the sommeliers used to send it back because of the color of the wine and et cetera, et cetera. Now these same people are, you know, paying hundreds of dollars for these wines. So, you know, it'll, it happens with natural wine as well, you know, and I have natural Bordeaux on the list, believe it or not. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of just Well, like, no, I know it's available. It's just the yeah. way people think. Yeah, of course. You know. Yeah. I mean, you're right about Auvernois and even like Clos-Rougeard. You know, they're impossible to get. They're expensive. And they're the trophies yeah. of natural, right? I mean, I think at the end of the day, people kind of, especially in New York, they're more open-minded. They want something good. You know, if you give them something good, they're going to be open to it. You know, and they're going to. All right. So I'm going to ask this question probably for the hundredth time. And I want to ask it because it's you. And I'm sure I'll love the way you answer it. People are always intimidated by wine. They come in. Let's say your list is pretty tight but big. It's a long piece of paper with two sides with close spacing. So we're talking about. So people look at it and go, well, I don't know where to do. Give me the quick elevator pitch for me to get on the right track to drink what I want. When I come in, what do I do? Because everyone's afraid they're going to be upsold. They're intimidated by the wines. Some some guy comes over and they think, you know, he's a car salesman. I think very simple. I think you describe what you want uh, in, in simple. Literally simple, red or white. Red or white. Heavy what light. What flavor profile you want and how much you want to spend. And Don't be afraid easy. on the money thing, Don't right? Don't be afraid on the money thing. This, you know, it's, you know, prices on, on the menu for a reason, for food and drink. You know, just tell them, listen, I'm looking for... This wine that tastes like this, that I usually drink this, and I don't want to spend above X amount. And that way you have something to work with. It's very easy. And you say, well, I have this, or, you know, I don't have exactly what you're looking for in this way, but I think you're going to like this profile. It's, you know, X, X, and X. And, so uh, if I said I like Gamay, I like some Burgundies, you know. You've come to the right away. place. <laughs> well, would, is, would you put me on a Pinot Donise? Absolutely. You know, because if, of the profiles? Yes. So you'll always introduce it, people. Yes, to, I always introduce people to something different. It's it's so important. That's great. Um, so just if you sense people aren't talking, you guys have to pull it out of them. Yeah, too, a little. absolutely. Yeah. Um, don't be afraid. And Some people are afraid because they don't know how to explain what they like. And, I, you know, they, they can't explain it. They're like, you know, I like kind of this. And I kind of like, in all my years and my experience, I kind of understand what they want. But they don't know how to say the proper words for it. And it's fine. All right. So let's do a little... Um, <laughs> Let's do a little uh, test here, all right? I come in, you ask me what I like, and I want you to put me onto a wine, all right? right. I like Camus. <laughs> I, as a matter of fact, I like Camus Special Select, Selection, okay. whatever. This isn't me personally, okay. okay? After you roll your eyes and they come back <laughs> from the back of your head, what do you, where do you put a guy on even, with that? I won't even hesitate. I, I would say that I have a beautiful wine from... Uh, Italy from Franco Turpin. Spell Arosa, the last name. T E R P I N. Turpin. That's a blend of Cabernet mostly with a bit of Merlot from 2015 with bottle age that has integrated soft tannins showing beautiful dark fruit, easy drinking. So but it's got a little bottle age. Yeah. You said a 15, it right? It has body. It's got, you know, the classic Bordeaux grapes, yeah. body, and it yeah. drinks really well. Yeah. So you, you from can't. Italy, something you didn't think you were. <laughs> well, listen, I cut my teeth on uh, Napa Colts. 
yeah. don't drink them anymore. And obviously, you know, I moved to Super Tuscans, which I don't drink much anymore. You know, so now Barolo, Barbaresco, and all the Lange, yeah. all the regions around that. So that's that's a good one. You did yeah. well on that. All right, Jorge, we have to take a quick break. We're talking to Jorge Riera. Jorge is. I'm proud to say, you know, an OG of the natural wine scene in New York, a guy who walks the walk, talks the talk. Um, he's now busting his ass at uh, his new venture, Le Rock, in Rockefeller Center. Um, we'll be back, and we'll talk a little about what's going on up here. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Okay, we're back. We're back with my buddy Jorge Riera. Jorge, so what's really cool is new restaurants are blowing up everywhere. I mean, we were like crapping in our pants during the pandemic just trying to stay alive and now there's this you know renaissance and specifically which you know sort of involves you rockefeller center has become this crazy destination which is where you know we're sitting you know at lay rock so first we'll talk about the scene and everything but how did lay rock come about i mean you riadley Frenchette, great background going before. How did this come about? Well, we were approached by the group that was behind all the change in um, in Rockefeller Center, Cheshire and Spire, and they really liked what we were doing at Frenchette. Is so, this pre-pandemic? This or? is pre-pandemic. Oh, so yeah. this is... This is like four and a half years, five years in the making. Okay. And they were really uh, into what we were doing, what we're about, with food, with wine. Were they customers? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were customers. And, you know, we just started talking and, and feeling it out and what, what they were, their ideas to the place to make it more New York centric as opposed to touristic. Uh, and we all thought it was a good idea and then a good opportunity to do something nice and a bit different than Frenchette. Um, you know, Frenchette did more like an art nouveau thing. This is a, uh, this is more art deco here. Well, let's describe it. So Frenchette's smaller. Yeah. Like you said, it's, you know, got a little different vibe. This place is high ceilings, big windows, yeah. deco. F- funny enough, this, this, the square footage is, is a bit larger and there's more space and it's loftier. But in terms of seats, it's the same as really? Frenchette by like five. Yeah. But it's by not like as tight. Five, it's not as tight. Whoa. Which I like yeah. the tight though. Yeah. That it's, doesn't bother me. The tightness me. is great. You know, there's no like banquette booths here. It's all like one long booth. It's, you know. Yeah. Everyone's together in this room. Um, do you think, this question's irrelevant, I'm more curious. I mean, do you think think they jumped on you guys earlier than some of the other people that have come in here? Yeah. I'm I guessing mean, they at, spoke at, to you at, before they spoke to King. I mean, King. At, at, the, at the time, you know, we were a very hot commodity hot, right. and all focus and attention were on us. We won a restaurant of the year, and uh, you know there was a lot of attention. Wineless uh, coming our way, stuff. so yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. So you were in a great position yeah. to get noticed. Um, let's talk about the food before we get to the uh, wine. I mean, it's French, it's unfussy, but it's not casual. It's a brasserie, but it's fine dining. I mean, how do you? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's you know Whitley and Riyadh and uh, and Chef Walker Stern. Uh, they have very clean, uh, precise flavors. Um, the the food is very uh, simple, but with a lot of technique behind it, and uh, just beautiful layers of uh, of flavors that come out in the food. You know, and it has a lot to do with like the wines that we serve here, and uh, the so there's a collaboration. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, who's the chef? 
Walker Stern. He used to have a really great restaurant in Brooklyn called Battersby. I know Battersby. And uh, was a partner with another chef at Dover. Um, he's a really experienced and talented chef um, that I've known for a little while now, and I'm happy to be working with him. So tell me, I always worry about this. You know, you launch French Ed, and it's a gem and super successful in every way. And then in a way you expand. How do you keep the mojo going at both? How do you keep French at what it is and launch this to be successful? I mean, do Riyadh and Lee still cook at French Ed? Are they now more corporate? No, no, no. Lee and Riyadh are here every day. Here? <laughs> yeah. In, in the, the mornings, In the mornings, they have meetings at French Ed. Okay. And then they come here in the kitchen. We're okay. all up here. So obviously, because yeah. it's new, yeah. everybody's yeah. here. But, but And there's no compromise there. So who's cooking at uh, Frenchette? Frenchette is, is, is uh, Charlie. Is, uh, that was chef. there. Yeah, that was the sous chef that opened up the place with us. Is now the chef, uh, the cuisine at uh, Frenchette. Frenchette has a very solid, good team. Uh, that have been there for a long time and open. I know the wine people have been there. Yeah, and, Reed and, and I have a very guys. solid team. Reed, uh, Emily, uh, now Aaron and, and Pierre. Uh, we have a great team. We have a new team here that I'm, I'm happy to be working with. Um, Who's that? Uh, Corinne is uh, assistant general manager. She used to work with me at, at Frenchette. She came here, but also there's uh, Tony, Brad, and uh, Misha that are part of the wine steward team here that are doing nice. great work and uh and yeah i'm excited to be working with them yeah it's a good crew i had uh max mckinnon on oh yeah he he was on and then he left for bird max is gonna be here right below us i, tell I know him, I said, jupiter we, yeah yeah, yeah, need yeah, to yeah create a slide right into your cellar <laughs> and then you know joel nell fellner he's, yeah. he's you know he'll be here it's a pretty good crowd the yeah. olmstead crowd yeah. um wine wise Tell me some of the things that you do here that you wanted to or couldn't do at French yet, or you're even forced to. Like when I say forced, you're in Midtown and you got to understand your clientele. Well, I'm in Midtown, but I'm in New York City. So it doesn't matter where I'm at. Uh, it doesn't make a difference. Um, what I'm forced to is to put all the wines that I want on one sheet of paper. <laughs> right. In, in Baltazar, I have a booklet. Uh, I mean, sorry, not Baltazar, French I have a, a booklet which I can geek out more and do different things uh, here. But why, why is that? I mean, why can well, you do because, a booklet there? It, this... uh, because we just decided that the pace here, I think, of, uh, you know, when we talking about this place, it's going to be open eventually, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, seamlessly straight. And as opposed to like, you know, trying to be like what we were discussing earlier, being unfussy, the wine list I wanted to be just, I, I think it was nice to see people in this room looking at this big sheet of, of paper with all the wines in front of you and don't have to flip through pages and just say, I want this, give me that. Oh, what do you think for this price? You know, straightforward, easy. I, I, I know I've asked this question many times to many people. And the question is, is it harder to set up a wine list on one page with two sides than it is to just have a book where you can add and delete pages? No. There's I a mean, benefit to both. But I mean, I, I want to do different, you know, I don't want to do the same list, even though we're using the same, I work with the same growers and the same wines, more or less. Uh, but here on this list, I get to express a full range of, you know, like, for instance, in Burgundy, I have like three producers. In, in Frenchette, I have like eight to ten producers. But here I focus on fewer producers, but I, I show their whole range of work. So less producers, more skews? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so that's, uh, that's an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and it's just to highlight one grower and, and what he does as opposed to having 20 growers with, you know, right. from now Each will village. that will that rotate like those three yes, growers yes. in mean, time? You know, also it's only so much wine I get. They yeah. make so yeah. yeah, it'll always rotate. You know. All right, so here I have it in front of me. Yeah. Tell me about the wine list. I mean, it's Francocentric. Yeah, you, you, it's, you know, it's all old world Francocentric. I mean, walk me through the vitals. Yeah, uh, selection right now it's about like two hundred twenty more or less. Uh, a handful of uh, pet gnats goes into a, a deeper uh, selection of champagnes 
and then it starts with France. Uh, the heart of the list is all French. Uh, and it basically is a loose geographical map running north to south, but starting with the Loire. Right. Okay. And then it just kind of runs down. And if, if you see the, the producers, I mean, mostly it's Vendée de France, but right. it, it runs an easy, you know, map. And then I have other reds and other whites that are from all over the place. You know, it could be from Catalonia. Right. Tom Lubey. Yeah. You know, all those guys, the stuff you mentioned. Yeah. Um, earlier um, so it's predominantly French with an eye towards the Loire and then it just blows up everywhere yep. else um, is that is there stuff you want to get on that you can or you're able to juggle everything no I, I can juggle yeah right you know and seasonality juggle. yeah and, and I, I like to keep it fresh and different from Frenchette that way I have fun up here and have things there that you can only get there and have things here right you can that's important yeah. that, that's how so, you distinguish yeah. um what we talked about, I asked you to tell me some regions, you know, that are exciting you and winemakers. We talked about Slovenia, Styria. What's, what's on the list that's exciting you? What's on the list, you know, that you were anxious, you know, to get on? Um, it overlaps uh, the other question of French Ed versus here. But. Uh, the champagne, I, I've been able to, uh, to expand on the champagne here, uh, which has been nice and and. And I had a feeling we'll move more champagne in this area than than in Tribeca. So that's been nice, and people have been gravitating towards that and, and starting off. So how many different champagnes? Like a dozen or so? Or uh, I got like about 30. Oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And price range from reasonable to... Yeah, I mean, reasonable is it champagne. So reasonable from like 180 to like, you know, into the four digits. Well, it's a couple of bottles, but... Yeah, and we're talking a lot of grower and yeah. small producers and all those guys. Um, do you have to, we talked about this a little before, because of the clientele here, and like you said, you, I think Tishman wanted to be less touristy and, you know, more hip, but you still have, you know, offices and people that are not far from the Upper East Side. Um, you have wines that'll serve their taste. Like when I said I want a Camus. Mm -hmm. Are there some wines that you have to have on the list or you won't be forced to that? I sort of asked you that before. No, there's no wines that I have to have on the list. And there's no I mean, secret wine list, right? No, there's never a secret wine list. I don't really believe in that. Um, I, I keep all large formats and everything on the same uh, page uh, when space allows me to. And... Um, it's pretty easy. Yeah. You know? What about by the glass? By the glass, I have uh, three whites, three reds, two rosés, and three sparkling wines. Um, I think eventually I will do a champagne by the glass. I was going to say, tell me about the sparkle. Is any champagne? Uh, no to champagne. To keep the price all, reasonable. All, yeah, yeah, all pet nuts. Yeah, yeah exactly. They're if all I pet nuts? They're all pet nuts. No, like cava or any? No, no, no cava. I have a pet nut. Two from Spain. Actually, all three of them are from Spain right now. Uh, I got a Nieva York, which uh, you might have heard of from Microbio. That's a Vendejo, nice sparkling, very fresh uh, citrusy white. I have a Sounds good. Uh, Marina uh, macerated uh, sparkling from Catalonia, uh, Raimones. And I have. Is that a, the maker, Marina? Uh, no, Marina is a very old Catalan grape. Oh, that's the uh, And the varietal. producers are Ramones. It's okay. uh, three uh, kids of three wow. kids of uh, winemakers in the region. And then I have uh, Venture uh, Rosado, which is uh, from Castilla uh, de la Mancha and uh, Don Quixote land. And it's San Cibel. <laughs> San Cibel is uh, the local varietal for Tempranillo. It's a off-try wine. If you're familiar with like Cerrón de Bouget, yeah. it's, it's a, oh, a, so that's interesting. a light pink uh, off dry uh, rosé. It's fantastic. Jesus. See, that's... So I'm easy. having fun with these things, you know, and switching those out. It's, it's kind of Are nice. you one of those believers that bigger bottles to pour out by the glass oh, serve love, better wines? I mean, do I you go Max. out of your way to... <laughs> oh, yes. I, I, is I, the by the glass, you'll um, do a lot of mags for yeah, that because you'll pour it the, out. The mags are going to be coming. As, as you probably know, everything has been delayed. I mean, rosés are just arriving to New York right now, funny enough. Really? And, yeah, I didn't realize I, that. I have wines. 
the wine that we're going to taste and drink later was supposed to arrive in June. It just got here like a week ago. So everything has been delayed. So, you know, I have mags on order that I'll eventually put by the glass. Uh, I have mags always by the glass at Frenchette and Jeroboam's when they're available. But, you know, the glass is it's hard to come by. And right now, like winemakers are just like bottling in any bottles they can find. Well, that and there's kind of an uproar for environmental reasons yeah. that all this glass yeah. you know and everything is kind of crazy yeah. so we'll see how that plays out um you mentioned it before about the food i'm interested in the process so lee and riad are pretty prolific at what they do i think they have a vision with the food i know you have a vision with the wine so now you sit down and does it go both ways? Do they say, here's what we're cooking, what goes with it? Or do you say, here's some cool wines? What can you, you know, tell me how that all comes together. Well, I mean, when, when they come, the, the three of them will sit down and uh, and speak and, and talk about like what's in season, what right. they're going to be doing, right. and ideas. And I kind of, you know, will start thinking and, and wines that are be coming in and wines that I have that are going to be great with these dishes and, uh, you know, I kind of talk to them and they kind of get excited and I get excited. And, uh, you know, it's just a nice mariage that happens after. There, It's an interesting menu. Yeah. You know, it's kind of old and new school yeah. French brasserie. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say funky, but there's some interesting stuff on it, yeah. you know, um, and gives you a good opportunity to, to pair and everything. All right. We're going to wrap up. I want to do the wine list, and then I want to taste your wine. But before I wrap up, I want to... You and I love music. I mean, we love Coltrane. We just lost Pharaoh. Mm. We love guys like uh, MF Doom. I know you. I grew up... My dad, Brooklyn Jewish white guy, was a huge salsa guy. So of I grew course. up around or, it. You know, Castel Harlow. <laughs> yeah. Fanya All-Stars, yeah. everybody, yeah. all those guys. Um do you draw any parallels to music and wine? Yes, I mean, absolutely. if anyone does, because you're pretty absolutely. deep into both. I mean, absolutely. tell me how you think about that. I mean, all these guys that, that, that I first started, that's what attracted me to this whole world. Uh, when I first went to France and started to see what these guys were all about, it's, it's you know, I studied art and used to draw a lot more. Um, I studied architecture, but I love that that connection with the art with the with the nice labels uh they all have music backgrounds they all play music they all were huge fanatics of uh, music have extensive vinyl collections with jazz with uh r&b soul funk rock whatever you name so yeah there is a connection and a lot of it you know like vincent marie and the Auvergne, no control the funk comes from black flag it's like really you know, yeah and it, it makes i love that subtle and, stuff yeah, and yeah there's all these there's so many cuvées that are named after uh, uh after songs from you know gonsborg and and jazz and all right it's just a lot of cool crossover references yeah. that i love i think both go deep music goes very deep yeah very emotional sensual and i think wine Absolutely. you know does that um you know, I don't think I'll stop doing either one. All right. We're going to do the wine list. Can't let you get out of here without doing it. I ask you five questions. It's the same five questions I've asked everyone since we've been doing 225-plus shows. <laughs> you did this four years ago. I didn't memorize it, but I will do a comparison. I wouldn't say let's say how your tastes have changed, but let's see what you're thinking now, you know, versus then. Um but wait, let's address that question. Have your taste changed? Um, not really. Yeah, I wouldn't. No, no. same uh, stuff. Have, yeah, same stuff. You just get more inquisitive yeah, yeah. and look to white and, yeah. you know, that and that. All right, first question. What are you drinking now? The context is not what we're drinking right now, yeah. but what are you experimenting with? What are you looking for for the wine list? What's in your fridge at home? When you go out, what do you look for? Give me a couple of examples of I that. Mean, I, I, I'm trying to, I've noticed that there's a lot more uh, Pinot Donis arriving, which we spoke about lightly earlier, and we'll be drinking later that from different growers, and uh, I'm interesting. So you're going I love deep that into grape. Pinot Donis. Yeah, I love that grape. It's, and you've been doing that for fun. years. Yeah, fun. So there's more of it? Yeah, there's more of it, which is really nice. Um, Anything of note worth mentioning? Uh, this wine that we're going to drink okay. is delicious. So we'll we'll tell everybody what it is. Um, what else? Um, so Pinot Donis. 
Pinot Lonis, uh, a lot of really nice pet nats that are coming about as well. Um, I, I'm really getting into Blau Wildbacher. What is so that? Blau Wildbacher is a grape in uh, Austria. Is it B-L-A-U? B-L-A-U-E-R. B, that's what I meant. Uh, Wildbacher, W-I-L-D. What is it? White, red? I mean, excuse my ignorance. It's a red, inky, but very like foresty, raspberry flavor. That just jumps out the glass. I kind of like. Is love there that. a parallel or comparison to? Th- um, not really. Like an earthy can... burgundy? No. No. Barolo? No. No, huh? It's, its, own it's pretty unique. Yeah, it's pretty unique. Which All I, right, I'm gonna kinda, post that. I kind of like, and uh, Franz Stromae does an, uh, an amazing uh, a rosé out of Blau Wilbach, and he makes a great red that comes in at like eleven percent. Wow! And it's just beautiful all right so those are good ones um i'd be curious on this one i think like me you like to eat we like to drink give me your favorite wine and food pairing not what we think is a good wine and food pairing but what you like like what's a ooh ah this is just perfect peanut lonis and oysters really yep i wonder if you said that last time so here's here's the rub i don't allow my guests to say champagne and oysters too obvious nobody says red and oysters you of course will say red and oysters why does pinot denise work so well with oysters because of the brininess of uh of the oyster and with the pepperiness and the acidity of the pinot lonese it's a great match so the pepper and acidity is good with yeah it's like a little salt salt and pepper so then why does everybody always say these white wines, you know, like Muscadet or Champagne, just a little? Because it's, it's I mean, they, some of them do go, most of them do go with it. It's more of a traditional thing. Right. It's like when people think that red goes with cheese. No, white actually is better right. paired with cheese. Right. But um, yeah, it's it's. I, li- I like traditional. that. Man, this is like Pinot Denise day here. Yeah. This is the Pinot Denise <laughs> hey, podcast. Always a good day I'm, when the listen, sun is shining man, for that's Pinot what Denise. I'm, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, all right, third question. And I know you've been busy, but I know you get out because I see you get out, uh, whether it's in Europe or here. Favorite wine restaurant and or bar. Places where they do what you do. The wine list is thoughtful. The knowledge is up there. The vibe is great. Here or, or? No, anywhere. Let's do one in New York and anything else. Maybe Paris, Austria. One in New York, yeah. Uh, four Horsemen. Okay. Four Horsemen, without a doubt. Uh, you know. So you uh, and I love Justin. Nick's cooking. Nick's cooking is simple, uh, fresh, uh, more seafood forward, which I love, and vegetables, and uh, the list is great. Uh, there's always something to drink on that list, uh, and the vibe is fun, down to earth. I agree 100%. Yeah. You and uh, Justin were out in Chicago not long ago because yeah. you were both nominated. One of the best trips. For the best wine. Yeah. I, was, I followed it on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, it was, it was like an eating and oh, drinking it was festival. Amazing. <laughs> I'm surprised you got into your tux. <laughs> I'm surprised too. <laughs> um, all right, so that's an incredible choice. I mean, that that will always work. What... Anywhere abroad or anything else? Oof, abroad is a, a lot. Uh, but let's I mean, go Paris. Septim. Septim? Septim has a great cough. Uh, the food is phenomenal. I love the room at lunch. Uh, the light fills up. It's just a beautiful room. Can't go wrong in. with Septim. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Um, fourth question. Although it's impossible to get in there. I know. And do they take reservations or not? Uh, Clamato think, doesn't think, take reservations. Yeah. You can get reservations. You yeah. can't get it, yeah. but you can yeah. make it. Um Another good comparison question. Fourth question is favorite all-time wine. I always say when I initially put the question on, I wanted to hear what Jorge's rarest, most expensive wine he ever drank. I don't give a shit. What's that wine that's so important to you, whether it's a maker, it was a gateway, it changed the way you thought about it. What's that significant wine to you? Uh, To change, I would have to go back and literally say Laguerre from... uh, Laguerre and Romorantana are up there. Uh, Spell Laguerre. Laguerre is uh, the, the war. Uh, oh, okay. G-U-E-R-R-E? Yeah. Okay. R-I-E. Uh, and a Romorantan that I tasted. The Romorantan was really mind-bending. Uh, that I tasted from Terry Puzla. 
and I never tasted that grape in my life. And is that one of Terry's wines? Yes. Okay. Uh, um, so he's an important guy in wine yes. to you, and super, that's an important super important one. Yeah. for for the whole community for this right. whole reason why I'm here. Uh, Roma Rantan is this really very very rare prephylaxis grape from uh, from. Can you Loire. spell it for me? Romo R O M O. R-A-N-T-I-N. Romo Rantan. And that's the grape, the variety? Yes, that's the grape. And it's this like, it's great. It's it's this really grape that has a lot of complexity to it. Fattiness, acidity, fruit. Fatty uh, and acidity don't always go together. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy grape. Uh, but when made well, it's one of the most stunning wines. And Is it out there now? It's out there in in small quantities. Okay, but, so it's you know, right. It's, it's rare. It's rare, it's rare. and Very few it had an impact it. on you, yeah. right? Okay. Um, do you think you said that in the last time I asked you this? I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, Can't I'm going to check. I'll shoot you an email. All right, last question, and you should be as good as anybody to answer this. I want you to recommend to me a red and a white retail, 15 20 22 bucks that I always say I'm the most redundant guy. My kids are in their late 20s and 30s. They can't show up at a dinner party with an $11 bottle of supermarket wine. Yeah. They can't afford 40 or 50. So how do you wow at 19, 20, 21, 22 bucks? Give me a maker, give me a region, anything, but give me a red and a white suggestion. Um, I think uh, Angelino Maule makes Spell? Me- Angelino Maule, M-A-U. L-E. L-E. Okay. Um, from? From Italy. He okay. makes a really great uh, white called Sasaya, uh, um, what made from Gargana. Okay. It's really delicious and, and easy drinking. And it's in that price range? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting and yeah. it's good. That's what I'm looking I think for. it has a screw cap as well. You know, All right. So don't get... Don't get intimidated by that. Let's not <laughs> no, get everyone not. crazy. All right. Uh, Give me a red. A red, I would say. It's always uh, a little tougher, the red, to some yeah, people. Yeah, the reds are tougher because actually the prices have been going up as well. Um, definitely I would look for a Gamay from the Loire, from uh, from Tubuff. Uh La Boutte is a, is a really nice. The 21s are phenomenal, and they're just going to arrive very soon if not they're here. Um, that's a super affordable, uh, food-friendly, easy-drinking red. So go backwards a second for me. So you said a Gamay from the Loire. We know Gamay is super popular in Beaujolais. Um, You know, you have the the natural winemakers and all that. The Loire has been growing and making Gamay for a while or recently? Well, the Gamay was grown everywhere. It was all over uh, Burgundy before. But people don't think of No, they don't. They think it's only from Beaujolais. Right. Um, what are there differentiations? I mean, yeah, do, I mean, I, mean I know you would know taste wise. Yeah, the, so mean, the terroir, there, the soil. There is like Gamay from the Auvergne, Gamay de Beaujolais, Gamay from Loire. You know, and the different varieties of Gamay. This Gamay Petit Grand. There's like about, I mean, in Burgundy alone, there's I think like forty different types of Gamay. Well, I was going to ask you that because always excuse my ignorance. Um, because I learned wine through osmosis sitting next to guys like you. Yeah. There's at least the 10 crews in Gamay, right? Yeah. You know, Morgon, yeah. Floret, and, and they all have different yeah. qualities because of, you know, where they are. Um, that reflects in the Loire and other areas because of climate and, you know, soil and all that. There's a diversity. Yeah, absolutely. But they don't, like, you know, with a Morgon, it's going to be heavier than maybe a Floret. Um, yeah, it also depends on the hand of the winemaker. Right. You know, there, there's some that, that that come in in a lighter, fresher style. And there's, you know, and Morgon, they do like their big, ripe yeah. reds, too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they... Yeah, so what we'll, we should... So, best wines, we should look for uh, Gamay in the Loire. That's a good one. Yeah. All right, I neglected to say this, but I post all our answers on our social media. Okay. I do a wine list posting. Okay. Um, I think one of the cool things is people love to listen to this show, not because of me, but because of the stuff that yeah. you've been telling them. So I will yeah. post that um, on social media. All right, we're going to wrap up, but I have a segment where, called the Weekly Wine Sip 
where I extort wine from my guests. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, there's nothing better than sitting with Jorge and letting him pick a wine that reflects his taste, the restaurant's taste, what's going on now. Um, so every week we taste a different wine on air for the weekly wine sip, and I ask Jorge to pick something, and it's a very cool wine. So let's pour it out yes. and let's start talking about it. This wine is, uh, if you don't know this, the name of this winemaker, you need to know. Okay. Is, uh, it's important. Um, his name is Laurent Sayard, and he opened Spell up. Spell Sayard. S A I double L A R D. Sayard. And he was working in a restaurant, had his own restaurants in Brooklyn, and moved back to France, and is making wine now. And it's. How long has he been making it? Uh, I would say six years now. Okay. Uh, one of the hottest winemakers right now coming out of France. Uh, he's had great people that he learned from. Um, and All right, so give is, me the vitals. The na- the winemaker is Sayard. Laurent Sayard. The name of the wine. Funny just, enough, it's called Sasset Discute, which means let's talk about it. Let's so have a conversation. C-A- S-E-D-I-S-C-U-T-E, Sasse Discute, which means let's talk about it. It's a Vin de France. What are the grapes, the varietals? It's one grape, monovarietal, from a prephylaxial grape called Pinot Donis. Okay. And... Santé. Salute. All right, so let's take a look at it. Color-wise, I'm holding it over white. Is this a classic Pinot color? Yes. Is it lighter or darker? Even, this even, is, no, this is this is like a perfect Pinot color, and you can have even lighter versions of this. Okay. Get the schnoz in it and tell me what you get on white the note. White pepper just jumps out the glass. It's funny you say that because you sit there and go, what is that? And then when guys like you say it, what else? White pepper. What about the? Roses. You know? Yeah, there is roses in there. All right, let's uh, let's throw it over the tongue and oh, yeah, the mouth feel. Nice little texture. It's kind dry, of medium, fresh. It's yeah. not a thin wine. Yeah. Obviously, it's not unctuous wine by looking all that. Uh, very fresh and all that. Eleven and a half percent. Yeah, so that feels good. But um, it has some gump. I was just gonna say, you know, that initial attack. Coats the mouth for a second, and you get it right away. And now it's starting to spread out, and it's still sitting there. All right, now the palate. Does the palate reflect the nose? Yes. Is there that spice there? That's still there. Spice. The the acid backbone. Nice Um, tannins. Tannins are good. What else, descriptor-wise, the fruit? I mean. This with food, I mean, you can have charcuterie, you can have, like I said earlier, oysters, you can have any type of pate. What doesn't this go with? It's pretty much everything, right? Pretty much I mean, everything. You could eat it with a burger. I wouldn't you eat, can this eat it with, with an like or- a pari breast or Mariah's uh, soon-to-be raspberry souffle. But So dessert. <laughs> what about asparagus? It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Put some ham in it and crack that. Yeah, 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 you're right about it. All right, so... Hard to get this wine. Yes, only it's a, because it's difficult because he made a very very short crop in twenty one due to the harsh uh, vintage. So, uh, is like, this on the list right now? This is on the list, and it's by the glass right now. Oh, great! So, so you have bottles to, of this. Yes, I'm, I'm. I'm. You know, anytime I get Pinot Donis and I'm able to put it by the glass, I do it just to get people to try Pinot Donis. I I find it that every time people try this wine they get blown away from it and it's something that no one did it to me when i was at french head almost five years ago great wine i mean i'm a believer um that's the importance of guys like you out there that seek out these wines make them available on the list not that easy to find pinot denise this maker you know you come here and you know that's the importance of you in the wine list um What's the ballpark on a glass for a wine like this? This is uh, 20 on the glass right now. Right, which yeah. is pretty reasonable yeah. for yeah. kind of a, yeah. I wouldn't say rare, but not an easy wine yeah. to um, you know, find and all that. So that's the Sayard, how do you pronounce it? Sasse Discute, a vin de France of the Pinot Dionis grape. All right, Jorge, we got to wrap it up. Spent over an hour. 
talking about all good things. I thank you for that. Thanks, um, Let me do a quick wrap-up. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Um, leave a review if you like the podcast. If you like us, let us know. Don't be afraid to leave a review. Um, Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby, on Twitter at BenRuby. I know that's confusing, but you could always get to the Grape Nation via our hashtag, the Grape Nation. That'll get you up to everything. Um, we're on Facebook at the Grape Nation. As I mentioned earlier, we'll post Jorge's wine list answers. Some great records there. We mentioned a couple of wines during the show, which I think I'll get in there. Um, and I will give you specific information on our uh, Sayard, our weekly wine sip. A um, couple things, Jorge. If people want to find out more about a bunch of things, if they want to get to Le Rock, if they want to get to Frenchette, where are the best places to, you know, either Walk internet or social media? But I mean, if they want to look it up. Oh yeah, I mean online. We're we're we have our websites and uh, for both Instagram restaurants. For both. Yeah. Okay, and if they want to follow you on social media, a rum rhino. R h u m. R h i n o. I I don't know if I ever asked you that. Where'd that come from? Well, I used to be a, a big rum aficionado, which I. Would you stop drinking rum? Would you do throw it up one night and <laughs> no, you can't no, no, no. I, I still love rum. I just. I've gone away from um, having like hard spirits and just. So how long ago was that? Is that the last three years, seven no, years, ten? No, like more like twelve, fourteen years ago. Okay, and, and it was just you know I was choosing we, a name and I chose that name at the time. I was drinking a lot of rum and I have a huge, as you know, love for uh, rhinos. Um, so. Of course. It's funny how that stuck. My yeah. uh, oldest son went down to Argentina and worked with Laura Catena at Catena, and his his uh, handle is Malbec Ben. <laughs> and people go, where, you know, where's that yeah. from? It's not relevant yeah. today, but it yeah. historically. Um, so Rum Rhino, and then do the restaurants have sites? Is it yes, at uh, La, Rock? La, Rock, La Rock NYC, NYC. Uh, and uh, French at NYC? Okay. Both dot uh, com or on in- internet. I mean, uh, Instagram. So I know. I don't hope that after hearing the uh, podcast, people would love to try your wines, try the food here, and more importantly, meet you. How are you splitting your time right now? Right now, I'm I'm up here, uh, just you know, doing a lot of the trainings and just making sure that everyone gets comfortable. So your focus is here yeah, right now. My focus so is if they here. want to see right you, now, Rock's the is best a, shot. Yeah. Frenchette is in a great place. La Rock, you'll see uh Frenchette, you'll see me in the mornings doing tastings and going into the cellar and doing orderings. But during service I'm here. All right, one last question before I thank everyone. So Katie, my wife, aka Peaches, <laughs> um, we've celebrated our anniversary at Frenchette for the last three, four years, barring maybe one year for yeah. COVID. What do I do this year? You gotta come go up to- here. Do we come to Larock? Of course. That in technically it doesn't break the street because it's all the same people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so book it. We'll take care <laughs> yeah. of that. All right, Looking Jorge. To, to me, it's a pleasure knowing you. It's a pleasure being a friend. Um, I thank you for doing this again. I you tracked you down because there's a lot of exciting things going on with you, with Larock, with natural wine, and I couldn't think of a better guy um, to. Uh, to talk to everything about. So thank you to our guest, Jorge Riera. Thank you to our engineers at Heritage Radio and everyone else there. I'm Sam Ben Rubin. You've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. 